Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a wonderful and well-paced life. Hey, happy new year 2019. If you're listening to this anytime close to January 1st, which is when I'm recording this at quarter to four Eastern time in the afternoon from my driveway, from the cab of my truck, because I don't have an office. In fact, I can't even get to my main computer. Uh, the desk is tucked in a corner in sort of a walk-in closet. It's covered with all my stuff, all my electronics. There's bookcases in the way. There's uh, Swiss exercise balls. There's three or four guitars and a violin and four or five rolled up rugs and yoga mats and stuff. And there was no way I was going to have my gear available for this uh, episode. Um, I have a bunch in the can. I've been really excited to share them with you. I've got Joseph Alexander coming up, Andrew Spudfit Taylor, uh, Tess Masters, the Blender Girl, Hillary Reddig, uh, a wonderful conversation about activism and about uh, busting procrastination. Uh, Josh Luke. Um, you may not have heard of him. He's from the uh, the sort of economic side of healthcare, and all of these wonderful conversations are going to have to wait until I can get my office up and running again. And what I want to talk to you about today is time, and more specifically, my relationship with time, and more specifically, my dysfunctional relationship with time um, for for a long time and and what I'm thinking about and and how I'm going about dealing with it. So the precipitating factor is we don't have enough room in our house for my kids to be at home and for me to have a home office. For a while, I solved this um, oh, three, four years ago by renting a space, but it was expensive. It was 500 bucks a month. I didn't really like driving there. It was like 45 minute drive and it wasn't a social place. It was sort of me alone by myself somewhere other than home. We tried to solve it by renting um, a neighbor's cabin that we uh, outfitted with insulation and carpeting and drywall and lights. And that was even worse because it didn't have any heat. So I would have to get up early in the morning and put on heaters and come back. And then hopefully it would be hospitable. Um, so we decided to solve it by finally building me a space. And I don't want to talk about how far over budget we are. Um, but the space is lovely. It's coming along beautifully. My running buddy, Gio, um, helped design it for me. So it's got lots of south-facing windows. And just due to normal like subcontract normal subcontractor delays and things like that it's just taken way longer than i thought it was going to take i figured i'd be in by end of november at the latest and now it's january 1st and the second coat of uh, spackling has just gone up over the drywall. There needs to be a third coat. There needs to be sanding. There needs to be one coat of primer, two coats of white paint, molding, a uh, little bit of exterior work, some caulking and painting, um, some molding around the windows and the outside maybe. And at that point, I think I can start to move in. So that's gotten me thinking a lot about 
time, as I said, about my relationship with it, about how I wish it would go faster, about how I wish I could move faster. And just for a little bit of irony, before I dive into it, I'm going to mention that time is running out if you would like to join the next cohort of WellStart Health. We begin on January 7th, and really the deadline to get you in without a whole lot of muss and fuss is January 4th which would be uh, Friday. So we're beginning on Monday, January 7th. It's a 12-week program. Um, we think of it as a virtual health retreat. I think of it as an on-ramp to health to kind of get you from wherever you are now to highway speed so that after 12 weeks, you are on the road, on the path, making progress, and you've got all the tools and the maps and the gear that you need in order to be successful. If you want to find out more, go to wellstarthealth.com slash program. You can read about it, and at the bottom of that page, you can click the Apply button. And if you do it by the 4th, we can make sure you're ready to go on January 7th when the thing starts. It includes a forum, a group forum. We believe in working with groups, not individuals. So you'll have a whole cohort of people to support you. Um, there are video coaching calls with me and Josh and other coaches and your cohort. There are daily texts with your coaches. Anytime you want, you can just uh, send us a text and we'll get back to you. Uh, there are webinars. There are three dietitian calls. And it's really different from other programs out there in a couple of important ways. The main one, the main one is that we don't view healthy behaviors, healthy habits as evidence of character, of willpower, of self-discipline, of anything, any more than we would look at someone who could play a scale on the violin and say, well, that's, that's a sign of character. No, it's just a sign of practice. And if you do the practice, you will get good at the thing. And so we really focus not on, oh my gosh, I hope I can do it. I hope I can motivate myself this time. We just focus on practical skills predictable steps, and to, to, we honestly just take the drama out of this whole getting healthy thing. I would say that's our biggest difference. Another huge difference is that our coaches have all gone through the kind of change, the kind of transformation that our clients are hoping for. Another is, as I said, that we work with cohorts. We believe in the power of community. So if any of this sounds good to you. If it sounds hopeful, I hope you will check it out. Wellstarthealth.com slash program. I also just want to quickly mention that Josh's and my book, Sick to Fit, has been doing phenomenally well. I'm so excited and proud and happy about that. We have almost 11,000 downloads and we just uploaded it on December 1st. So in one month, that's 11,000. Almost every single one of those is a free Kindle download. So we're not getting rich on this. Um, but that's not why we did it. And we also do have a paperback. So if you would like to support our work uh, and get something in return, every time you buy the paperback, I believe our commission, our, our, our royalty is uh, about three bucks. So Josh and I split that. Um, handsome book. I love the cover. Um, if you've seen it, um, it's pretty memorable. The book is called Sick to Fit. It's available at Amazon. It's available as a download at, I think, Barnes & Noble and Kobo and Smashwords. And also, if you go to sick2.fit, you can grab it down there as a PDF if you don't have uh, any of those readers. All right. So it's about time to talk about time. And what I felt last night when I was thinking about, I'd gotten the news that I wasn't going to be moving into my office on New Year's Day as I had hoped. You know, I figured, okay, so um, I don't have an office in the house. I'll just sit at a laptop on uh, the dining room. You know, lots of people do that. Everybody's home. So I'm, but it's, you know, it's vacation. It's between Christmas and New Year's. I can always run to the library for, for bouts of hard work, but it's not going to be a big deal. But by January 1st, I'll be in. Because we got a lot of stuff to do at WellStart Health over the next few days and weeks. We're meeting in L.A. next week. We're going to be reshooting a whole bunch of our, our videos for our program. And I'm going through the list and saying which ones we should redo and how we should redo them. So we're prepared. So we're not wasting all that time and money of the video production company. So I've got plenty to do. And at this point, January 1st, not going to be in the office till the 4th or maybe even the 7th. Like 
when the program starts. It might be the first time that I'm actually in this new office. And of course, you know, nothing's on the wall. There's no sound treatments so that my uh, my voice on, on podcasts and in other audios doesn't sound like I'm in an echo chamber. Like it's going to take a while to get up and running. And I have felt like I was running in place. Like instead of being in a race, I was on a treadmill. And it reminded me of my experience always feeling like I was five minutes late to everything. Like I lived my life this way for a really long time. Like I'd be in the supermarket and I'd be in the rice and bean, dried dried rice, dried beans aisle. And I would be thinking, I really need to be in the frozen section by now. Or, oh, I forgot a thing. I have to run back to the produce section. I was just, I just spent my life rushing around. And, you know, I'm... I'm part of a team that one of the main things we deal with on our clients is procrastination. All right, like there's there's a whole algebra to to procrastination when it comes to adopting healthy behaviors. It's very easy to say I want the results. I want to be healthy. I want to have a beach body. I want to get my A1C down. I want to have more energy. But those are future events. Those are going to happen not right away, right? We don't eat a piece of broccoli and all of a sudden we can run a marathon and wear a size 30 waist. All right, so the thing we want is in the future. And we don't know how far in the future. But we know it's not today. We know it's not tomorrow. It's probably not even next week. Probably not even next month. It's, it's a while, right? It's taken us a long time to get to a place that we don't want to be. And it's probably going to take us quite a while to get back to a place that we do want to be. And we we know that we don't value the future the way we value the present, right? Whatever's in front of us seems to be the most important thing in the world, whereas the future, you know, there's, there's studies where people are offered, I'll give you X dollars now or Y dollars, which is some amount greater than X in a week or a month or a year. And even with like a crazy rate of interest, like I'll give you $10 today or $100 in a year, people would rather have the money now. So they discount the future. So those things that we want, even if we want them really badly, they're in the future. They kind of get cut by half or 90%. And they just don't seem so compelling. Whereas the Rice Krispie Treat or the eggnog or the brownie or staying in bed and not getting up and going to the gym today is right in front of our eyes. And so it can seem huge. It will, you know, the pain that we'd have to go through now to get the benefit that we would get in the way distant future that doesn't even feel real just doesn't feel worth it. So that's why we procrastinate. It's just it's just simple math. If I say I'm willing to spend five units of unhappiness now to get 10 units of happiness tomorrow, it kind of feels like a wash because tomorrow feels so far away, even though when it comes, of course, it's the now and we're still going to be miserable because we haven't done the thing that would get us to the happier now. Anyway, that makes sense. So I spend my life, my professional life, helping people battle procrastination. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know a lot of what I have to say about that. If you've been uh, reading Sick to Fit, or if you join the Sick to Fit Facebook group, or if you're a, a well-start health client, then you know all the different tools and tricks and mindsets and strategies and stratagems and all that stuff that we use to help people bring the the far future benefit into the present so that we can uh, kind of squeeze all the juice out of it. So you would think that any sort of inaction, any sort of delay would be anathema to me, would be something that I would be very much against. And you can see in my life that I've always been a rusher. I've always been trying to get things done fast, always feeling like I'm behind the eight ball. And in fact, Almost everything I've ever done in my life has been squeaking by to deadline, right? All the books I've written, if it hadn't been for those deadlines, I wouldn't have written them. There have been plenty of books that I wanted to write, but there were no deadlines, and so they didn't get written. There was no 
contract. There was no company with a whole lot of lawyers. There wasn't an advance that they were going to come and repo my house over if I didn't produce the finished manuscript. So those things never got done. So I've been very sensitive to deadlines. I remember in college, I would stay up for almost an entire week, we called reading period. And I did better writing papers than taking tests. So I would ask all my professors if I could write a paper instead of taking a final exam. Most of them said yes. And so I would have like this week and a half of, of being able to write papers. And every single one I would turn in that morning on deadline. I don't even want to begin to tell you what I was eating to fuel myself during that time. But uh, there was a lot of Coca-Cola and a lot of Kit Kats. And I would almost inevitably, after that reading period, go home uh, during uh, you know winter break or for summer vacation and be sick for a long time. I never, I never put you know two and two together until much later. So I am both a procrastinator and a rusher, someone who is exquisitely sensitive to the constraints of time and the pressures of time on me, and someone who would do almost anything to put off the pain the uh, discomfort, the suffering until the last possible moment. And here I am today in my truck with no office, with no ability to give you the podcast that I was scheduled to give you and feeling antsy. And the good news is I don't know how to spackle. I don't know how to sand. I'm a terrible primer putter on her. I'm a terrible painter. There's nothing I can do. So I'm reliant on other people to, to, to finish this for me. And so there's a certain amount of peace that comes with that. There's also a, a certain amount of frustration that we've had two contractors who said they were going to show up and just didn't, which, you know, is one of the things that can really drive me crazy. And when I, when I kind of put it all together, it sort of feels like I'm in this, I don't know, cocoon, in this egg, where the universe is telling me that right now, the most valuable, most important thing I can do is to stop pushing, stop trying to, you know, crack the egg from the inside, stop trying to metamorphose so quickly, and slow down. And boy, isn't January 1st a weird day to get that message? This is the day we're supposed to like burst into our new year routine. This is the first day we're supposed to go to the gym or make that salad for lunch or sit down and meditate for 15 minutes starting today for the rest of our lives. Like January 1st is this day of action. It's this day of, of breaking through membranes that have kept us stuck. And it's precisely the time the universe is saying to me, Slow down, you move too fast Got to make the morning last Just kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun and feeling groovy Da-da-da-da-da-da-da Feeling groovy Hello lamppost, what you knowin'? I come to watch your flowers growing. Ain't you got no rhymes for me? Do it and do to feeling groovy. Da 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 da, -da feeling groovy. Got no deeds to do, no promises to keep. I'm dappled and drowsy and ready for sleep Let the morning time drop all its petals on me Life, I love you, all is groovy It's a fun song, but it never felt like it applied to my life it always felt like a cop-out. It always felt like if I'm not rushing, then I'm not pulling my weight. I'm not paying my karmic rent on this planet if I'm not constantly trying to accomplish something. One of my favorite writers is the poet David White, W-H-Y-T-E. And I'm going to read you something that he wrote about 
procrastination that I like and I'm going to stand by at this moment. He writes, Procrastination is not what it seems. What looks from the outside like our delay, our lack of commitment, even our laziness, may have more to do with a slow, necessary ripening through time and a central struggle with the core realities of any endeavor to which we have set our minds. A slow, necessary ripening through time. So I don't believe in ripening. <laughs> I believe you get the idea and you go and you just do it. You do it badly if you have to do it badly, but you just do it. You don't allow things to ripen because that's irresponsible. That's lazy. I mean, the whole mantra of our book, Sick to Fit, is do. Don't think, do something. Don't just sit there, do something. And here I am feeling like the universe is telling me, to go through a slow, necessary ripening through time. And the other part of that is a central struggle with the core realities of any endeavor to which we have set our minds. So you know that uh, since April, I've been full-time with WellStart Health. Boy, it's not clear where the world is going in terms of elevating lifestyle medicine and education and support and coaching to the forefront of medical practice. Sure seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Instead of first-line treatment being metformin for diabetes or Lipitor for high cholesterol or ACE inhibitors for high blood pressure, that the first line could be empowering people to make lifestyle changes to reverse these conditions, right? Look, you're listening to this podcast. You already know how much sense that makes. And yet, when I dove in, to the world of medical practice, to the world of healthcare, to the world of medical payments and insurance, I quickly realized how far we are structurally, psychologically, uh, socially from embracing that model. And yet I've jumped in with both feet. So yeah, there is a central struggle with the reality of the endeavor that I'm working on right now. How do we do it? How do we talk about it? Who do we approach? Who do we work with? And once we have our cohorts, once we, once we have lots of businesses, how do we ensure engagement? How do we talk to people about improving their diets without making them run away screaming that they're thinking that we're going to turn them into vegans or force them to never eat a chicken breast or an egg or a slice of cheese pizza again? Right? All these are unknowns. And there, yeah, there's a certain amount of slogging. There's a certain amount of just working hard, trying things, talking to people, ideating, brainstorming that is necessary. But the universe is saying to me right now, there's also the need for a central struggle with the core realities of this endeavor. And the central struggle is going to take place below your conscious mind, below your spreadsheets, below your documents, below your mind maps. It's going to take place through slowing you down and forcing you to engage with the now, to engage with the world as it is right now, as unsatisfactory as that feels to me. David White continues, To hate our procrastinating tendencies is in some way to hate our relationship with time itself. Hmm. Boy, that sure rings true when I think about me in the supermarkets, when I think about me driving home in traffic, when I think about me rushing to catch the train when I worked in New York, that time was the enemy and that the game of life was to try to be ahead of time. And of course, you could never really get ahead of time. You could build in buffers, but I was always playing the game. It always felt like time was this scarce resource. I live in uh, rural North Carolina. It's about um, 10 miles south of Chapel Hill. This is a highly developed part of the country in terms of water usage. There have been nearby a lot of towns gone up with a lot of people coming from the north. I think towns like Apex and Cary, a lot of pavement, a lot of strip malls, a lot of highways. And just, you know, for this region, the Triangle, there is a huge demand on our water table. So we're always at the edge of a drought. Even like this week, it's been raining days and days and days. I've got a, a bucket that I just leave out there and it's almost full. You know, we've maybe had 10 inches of rain in the last two weeks. Just, you know, crazy amounts. The ground is so sloshy and sloggy 
that I have to keep putting down wood chips just so we can we can park our vehicles and not get stuck in the mud. And every time we go to Chapel Hill, we pass by the Orange County Water Authority, and they have a sign up that says the, the percentage of the reservoir that's full. And right now it's at 100%. And every time it rains, it doesn't go above 100%. It's stuck at 100%. But all it can go is down from 100%. Right? So I've seen it go down to 70 to 60 The bridge over University Lake, which is now so full that the water's almost lapping at the road. In July or August, I'll be able to see most of the bottom of that lake. Right? So there is a cap. It doesn't go above 100%. And that is my relationship with time. That when, when things feel abundant... I can't put it in the bank. I can't store it away for later. I can't freeze dry it. I can't save it in any way. And so I always feel like, well, okay, so it's okay now, but at some point it's going to be scarce again. And that has been my relationship with time. And if you think about like humans relationship with resources, like we've, we've lived in a world of abundance until, you know, the last, I don't know, five, 10,000 years, right? Where the food just grew on trees or bushes or ran through the forest where the resources we needed to build our homes was was plentiful we've only you know since since we've taken over the planet and and developed cultures and economies and borders have things started feeling scarce and i think time has been the same way certainly for me and definitely as I look out on the world for lots of other people, that time just feels like this scarce resource that we have to become ninjas at managing if we want to get stuff done. So to hate our procrastinating tendencies is in some way to hate our relationship with time itself, to be unequal to the phenomenology of revelation and the way it works its own quiet way in its very own gifted time only emerging when the very qualities it represents have a firm correspondence in our necessarily struggling heart and imagination. Hmm. To be unequal to the phenomenology of revelation. So this is saying that I can't get everything I want all at once, that insight is not a pinball machine. I can't just put in a quarter, turn a knob, and get insight that I have to struggle with it and that, I had it, that the um, revelation has to have a firm correspondence in my necessarily struggling heart and imagination. It's saying not only do I have to put up with slowing down, with procrastination, with not getting what I want now, with not even doing the inputs that I think I should be doing now, but to view this as, I don't know, like the, the time a seed spends underground, hidden from whoever planted it, doing whatever thing it does in the dark, in the mystery, in the night, in the hidden places, and trusting that that period between when I put the seed in the dirt and start watering it, and until I see those first dicot leaves, that first stem popping up out of the ground, that good things are happening. All right, Gardening certainly teaches us patience. Gardening certainly teaches us that living processes, things that are worthwhile, take time and that we can't harvest until we plant and wait. That it's not simply plant and work, but that waiting and the kind of the faith that comes from waiting is a huge part of that. I'm going to come back to David White, but now I want to sing you a song. It's called Fashioned in the Clay. It was written in 1983 by Elmer Beale. 1983, I remember, I was 17, my senior year of high school, uh, freshman year of college, and I remember the Cold War, and I remember so many people thinking that uh, maybe time didn't matter. Maybe we were all about to get blown to kingdom come. I remember a bunch of friends of mine went off to Brown University, where the student body voted to uh, have the infirmary stock so, you know, some sort of cyanide or suicide tablet so that the uh, students could take them in the event of nuclear war so they wouldn't have to uh, be around to witness or, or, or suffer the whole thing. And there was a real sense that, uh, like, history and time as we knew it could be coming to an end. And so this, this song um, was written at, at the, the precise height of, of the Cold War to, uh, to kind of respond 
to those concerns. And uh, as I was thinking about putting that seed in the ground, uh, this song came to me. So, uh, so I'm going to do the best I can uh, in, the, in the cab of the car here. <laughs> when it seems like everyone is worried for themselves Making plans for fallout shelters, stocking up the shelves Living in the fast lane, staying high at night Thinking that by accident we'll blow out all the lights Look now at the potter, whose wheel is spinning round Shaping with her hands the past and future from the ground Cups that will be filled and drunk so warm in winter time Plates and bowls for dinner served by candlelight with wine And she believes, she believes By her work it is easy to see that the future is more than the following day It's fashioned securely in the clay Now come and see the farmer working in his fields Hoping for the sun and rain to guarantee his yields Like a seed the wind has blown to unfamiliar ground he waits to see what fate will bring as each year rolls around And he believes, he believes By his work it is easy to see That the future is more than the following day It's fashioned securely in the clay Elsewhere there are lovers in a warm embrace Happy with their plans To carry on the human race Now their baby cries And wonders if it's all alone Soft the voices reassure There will always be a home And they believe They believe By their work It is easy to see that the future is more than the following day It's fashioned securely in the clay So if you had been worried that tomorrow wouldn't come Look to see the ones whose lives are following the sun And the hope that springs so clearly from the work they do will spread a little further when it's found a place in you and you believe we believe by our work it is easy to see that the future is more than the following day it's fashioned securely in the clay it's fashioned securely in the clay Fashion securely in the clay. So there's that faith that Elmer Beale writes about so beautifully and fashioned in the clay. The farmer wouldn't throw down those seeds without that kind of faith. The potter wouldn't make the plates. The couple wouldn't have the baby. And to a certain extent, all of us have to have faith in a tomorrow. And so what I've been struggling with is, do I have faith in tomorrow or do I only have faith in my own efforts to bring about that tomorrow? And I'm harkened back to one of my favorite books as a child, which was uh, Horton Hears a Who. Remember that book? Where uh, Horton the Elephant, it's a Dr. Seuss book. Horton the Elephant discovers this uh, tiny world that only he can hear with his giant ears, and he's trying to protect it from those who wanted to destroy it. And the uh, the tiny world on this speck is called Whoville, and all the Whos are shouting as loud as they can. And still they the people can't hear in Horton's world until finally they discover one Who, one tiny little Who, isn't raising his voice to the din, to the tumult. And when that one does then that's the tipping point. Then their world gets saved. And yeah, I think in a lot of ways we're at that point 
where the world cannot afford any of us to sit it out. The world cannot survive without all of us who are willing to pull in the right direction, standing up and doing our thing. We've all got to be that little who in Whoville, which makes this idea of procrastination, of waiting, pro, towards, cross, Latin for tomorrow, till tomorrow. We still got to do today, don't we? We don't have the luxury to wait. We don't have the luxury to allow, to, to let things become. Let's come back to, to David White and see what he continues to say. Procrastination, when studied closely, can be a beautiful thing, a parallel with patience, a companionable friend, a revealer of the true pattern. Already we are surprised to find caught within us, acknowledging, for instance, as a writer, that before a book can be written, most of the ways it cannot be written must be tried first in our minds. On the blank screen, on the empty page, or staring at the bedroom ceiling at four in the morning, procrastination enables us to understand the true measure of our reluctance. Wow, the true measure of our reluctance. Do you know how long it took Josh to be willing to put his words down into a book? How long it took me to be able to say, I have something useful to say about health and healing and life and mind. I've written things before that were on deadline that had to go out on a blog post or had to go out as a sales letter. I've always questioned my motives around those things because I didn't look at all the ways they couldn't be done first, all the ways the book shouldn't or couldn't have been written. I just wanted to get something out there. And that's a fine way to operate a lot of the time, to just sort of try and do and do better next time, as we like to say in Sick to Fit, results dictate sufficiency. We're not trying for perfection. And so it's really hard for me to play with this idea of things are slowing down so they can come out right. I am being slowed down so that something can ripen within me, so that some roots can go into the earth that will support the next phase of my own journey. David White, again. An endeavor achieved without delay, wrong turnings, occasional blank walls, and a vein of self-doubt running through all, leading eventually to some degree of heartbreak, is a thing of the moment, a mere bagatelle, and often neither use nor ornament. It will be scanned for a moment and put aside. What is worthwhile carries the struggle of the maker written within it, but wrought into the shape of an earned understanding. Hmm. Now I'm feeling like I'm getting somewhere. There's two parts to this, to this procrastination, to this desire to get on with things and being blocked. That the struggle itself is going to be the raw material that gets formed into the shape of an earned understanding. I remember when I was working on Whole with T. Colin Campbell, I had been cranking out chapters easily. And then all of a sudden, I think it was up to, I was up to chapter six or seven, and all of a sudden nothing would come. And for two weeks, and I was in South Africa at the time, so I wasn't real easy to reach. And I kind of ducked underground. I think people were worried that I had gone AWOL. Because for two weeks, I was basically trying to avoid conversations with Colin, with the editor, with the publisher, who all wanted to know what the hell was going on. And the truth was, I was completely stuck at that point. I did not know what to write. I spent two weeks. And remember, this was sort of the first book I wrote about health and nutrition. My previous books had all been in marketing. And so I was going through this period of severe self-doubt, like, oh, the first few chapters were beginner's luck. Now I don't know where this is going. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to write. I need to give the money back. I need to apologize. And it was those two weeks that ultimately produced the understandings and the structure that allowed me to come back and, and tackle problems that had been untackleable up till that point. It really was the struggle. And it wasn't just getting through it. It was the despair. It was giving up. It was the self-doubt. It was all that was a necessary part of the process. It wasn't just time and it wasn't just 
struggle. It was a form of surrender to the inadequacy of what I had to bring to that project at that moment so that something else could get planted, could get watered, could get weeded, and could grow into something that I ultimately believe is a, is a worthwhile thing in the world. David White, procrastination helps us to apprentice ourselves to our own reluctance, to understand the hidden darker side of the first enthusiastic idea, to learn what we are afraid of in the endeavor itself, to put an underbelly into the work so that it becomes a living, satisfying whole, not a surface trying to manipulate us in the moment. Procrastination does not stop a project from coming to fruition. What stops us is giving up on an original idea because we have not yet got to the heart of the reason we are delaying, nor let the true form of our reluctance instruct us in the way ahead. To properly procrastinate is to be involved with larger entities than our own ideas. To refuse to settle for an early, underachieving outcome and wrestle like Jacob with his angel, finding, as Rilke said, winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows, by being defeated decisively by greater and greater beings. And that comes from David White's book, Consolations, The Solace, Nourishment, and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words, um, by Many Rivers Press. So that's a big idea, that I'm not here to win. I'm here to grow by being defeated by greater and greater things. That this office that I want to just jump into and pick up my life as normal would be missing the opportunity if I just moved my desk in, moved my bookcase in, and kept doing things the way I've been doing them, I would be taking an easy way out. And at the same time, it's not that I just take this week off and go on vacation or just uh, read Daniel Silva novels and cart wood chips and forget all about it. I'm in the struggle. I'm talking to you in the struggle. For God's sakes, I played a D16 Martin guitar in the driver's seat of a single cab Toyota Tundra with the steering wheel pressing the guitar into my gut. I'm doing a podcast like I've never done before, sitting in the truck, holding a microphone hooked up by XLR cable to a, uh, a solid state Zoom recorder. I don't have guests. Um, I don't really have notes on what I was going to talk about. I just knew I wanted to say something about time and procrastination and cocooning. And so procrastination is not what I thought it was. It's not delaying out of fear, right? I am uh, lurking on a very, very large Facebook group devoted to weight loss. It's not plant-based. It's not health-based. It's uh, sort of a, a popular culture form of weight loss. So people are posting all sorts of things around this time of year like, oh boy, I only have three more days to enjoy all my junk food. I have to eat it by then because I'm starting my diet on January 1st. And, you know, I just want to bang my head against my computer screen and, and scream at people. I can't, I can't do it because I'm not invited to. I'm not uh, asked to be an expert in this group, and I don't want to uh, offend the people who put it together. But that's not what I'm talking about by procrastination. I'm not talking about, let's put this hard thing off. I'm talking about being willing to surrender to something deeper than a surface outcome. Still putting in the work still being willing to engage in the struggle. It's kind of the opposite of I'm going to eat all the junk food until January 1st. This is I am willing to sit with this feeling that my office is not ready for me because I am not ready for my new office. I need time. I need to put down some new kind of roots. I need to become a different person. And this office delay is giving me the space that I need to have this struggle that David White talks about in procrastination for things to bubble up on the inside that are worthy of coming out in this next chapter of my life. New office, new company, new market, new economy, new world. I want to be fully present for it. And something needs to be born and something needs time to be born. There's 
a gestational period that I think we all have to go through from time to time. And honoring that gestational period doesn't mean doing nothing. So I'm still out there. I still ran 10 miles today. I'm preparing for another uh, 50K at the end of this month. Um, I spent an hour and a half doing martial arts. You know, it is January 1st. I do get to take some time to relax and um, focus on other things. It's not that I'm off the treadmill. It's just that I acknowledge that I'm on a treadmill and that the kind of progress I'm making cannot be measured by the normal GPS of my life. So before I close this episode, I'd like to invite you to think along with me and to see where are those areas in our life where there's a, a green light ahead, where everything's in order, everything's lined up, and with effort and focus and will and passion and mission, we can make things happen. And where we're stuck, where we're blocked, where there is will and there is mission and there's passion, but there is no clarity and there's no clear way forward at the moment. Maybe it's about our careers. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about our advocacy in the world. Maybe it's about our health, our weight goals, our disease reversal goals, our fitness. And to treat that stuck place as something sacred rather than as a problem, rather than as an indictment of ourselves. To see the place where we're stuck as the cocoon that we are wisely wrapping ourselves in while we grow, while we change, while we transform at some inner level, even through struggle, so that what emerges at the other end is a greater version of ourselves. Here's a beautiful word for you. After the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and before it becomes a butterfly, it's called an imago, which comes from the same word as image and imagination. So can we trust that those places where we are blocked, not where we are despairing, not where we are pessimistic, not where we are apathetic, not where we are making excuses, but those places where we are pushing and are committed and are still getting no traction at the moment, can we curl up around those like a cocoon and honor them and give them space and time and honor them with our struggle, honor them with our frustration Honor them with the knowledge that surrender to the universe doesn't mean giving up, but giving in. It doesn't mean throwing in the towel, but shifting our perspective. I invite you to join me in 2019 to make it a year of, yeah, great progress, great action, great doing, and also concomitantly great being, great becoming, and great compassion and tenderness for the tiny little who voice inside all of us that is still waiting to come out. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. What I'm not going to do this week is read the, the list of patrons. I don't have it on me. Uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully in the new office, doing all the old stuff uh, along with some new stuff. Um, in running news, as I mentioned, I signed up for the um, North Carolina Fat Ass 50K, which will be in January 26th in Ellerby somewhere. If you want to come out and uh, hand me a Larabar or, or run 10 or 20 or 30 miles with me, that would be awesome. In garden news, we're getting some greens. We've had a, today was in the high 60s, yesterday was in the high 60s, so uh, the covers are off and uh, we have a lot of... Uh, access to to those greens that are that are thriving in the winter um, made two new beds got some uh, some old mulch some old wood chips that have been sitting there for two years have now turned into beautiful mulch and covered those two beds with that um, what else uh, not much else I, I hope this uh, wasn't too rambly I hope it spoke to to you to some of you out there uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts because as you as you can as you can tell I'm all over the place with this I'm just beginning to form nascent understandings and I'm really looking at this delay as something that has lessons for me and, and not just as, as something annoying so if you have spotted some lessons that I missed I would love to hear them um, you can just uh, go to uh, plantyourself.com find this episode I believe it's oh goodness 302 Three? Does that sound right? 302? <laughs> I should have looked that up. Anywhere, it's up, it's up near the top this week, January 1st, 2019. Um, and leave a comment and let me know what you think. 
All right, that's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mauro, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Heatherly, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filikonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Tom Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gail Lacerte, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Tarona Vizo, Gio and Carol Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruthann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Colm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski, a plant powered for health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Petty Martino, Mike and Donna Cartson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gun Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullish, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends.